Welcome to the fifth edition of the Monday Morning Critic. Today I have a very special guest, one that was unexpected, but I am thoroughly excited for, Mr. Don Barris. Uh, Don is the warm... Go ahead, Don. No, no, I was just saying hey. And Don is... Don is the warm-up act this for Jim. This is where you say, "Hey, hold on." This is where you say nice things about me, right? <laughs> this is where I say the truth about you, which is all nice. And um, Don is the warm. I'll, I'll listen to that all day. Go. <laughs> Don is the Don is the warm-up act for Jimmy Kimmel. Um, he has been at the Comedy Store. He's been a staple at the Comedy Store for more than anyone in history, I believe. He has been fantastic in that regard. Um, He has been with Jimmy Kimmel for about 14 years. Uh, He has a phenomenal movie that came out in 2003 titled Windy City Heat. Um, He is a jack-of-all-trades, and he is phenomenal at all of them. Uh, I've worked on Jimmy Kimmel Live for 14 years. I've known Jimmy, you know... uh long before that, you know, I've known him since he first got Win Ben Stein's money, and I've uh, been friendly with him, but I've known him 14 years, and Jimmy is the guy that produced and got Windy City Heat together, he was the first guy that understood, wow, this is really funny, and he helped make a really funny movie that has been very good for me, so... Windy City Heat, you're talking about. I am Windy City and Heat. I, I, I can't. One other correction, real quick. I can't say that I've been at the comedy store the longest uh, because there's guys that have been there since the, the club opened. I can honestly say that I probably spent more time on comedy store stages than anyone in the history of the club. I every night I kind of close it out, and I'll sometimes go an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, and I, I think about that. And I do that seven days a week, and I've done that for years. And so I just look at all the time that I've, I've spent on stage. is probably more than anybody else in the long-running history. I can say that, and I'm probably pretty sure that I'm right. <laughs> I, I, I can't say the same because I got that all wrong. So I do apologize about that, Don. I, that's all on oh, me. you screwed up terribly. You look like a Complete asshole. Thanks a lot. Um, Don, I want to rewind a little bit. Um, I do want to tell um, the listeners that you are from Michigan originally. Yes, I am. And um, I have to ask, are you Red Wings, Pistons, Wolverines, Tigers, Lions across the board? Absolutely. And unlike, see, I went to Michigan State, but I had always been and probably if I had to say there's one that I've been in love with all my life more than anything, it would be the Michigan Wolverine football team. But I wasn't really like an active guy into what school project, so <laughs> I like the Spartans, but they'd always be my second. So I like Michigan, Michigan State, obviously, but I'll pull for anything from Michigan Pistons, Flying, I do love Jim Harbaugh. I, I really, I would people, I know a lot of people that are, like, have sports talk shows and things, and nobody believes that Harbaugh would go to Michigan. I, I knew that that guy would be the perfect fit, and it's just, you know, they haven't beat Ohio. 
State yet, but, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, there's a lot of hope with Michigan football with Jim Harbaugh out there. So, and I'd love to have anything I've ever done, but I don't think he would. <laughs> um, he is, he's really a different kind of guy, and I, I, I love him. And I, I, living in New England, uh, we have probably Michigan's best uh, I know you went to Michigan State, but we have Michigan's best football product in Brady, and he is, he is uh, got it. You know what? I'll tell you this. If you remember one thing, he didn't even start at one point. He wasn't even the starting quarterback in Michigan. After starting, uh, who they have, the, the guy that turned out to be a boss. Oh, he played for the Yankees, uh, too. Uh, Drew, uh, no, um, yeah. Drew Henson, is that right? It might might have been, but, you know, so when you talk about, like, was was Tom Brady the greatest quarterback ever? It didn't seem like it. Right. But, you know, I uh, the reason that I pulled for New England is because Tom Brady, a Michigan man, is there. And I, I got to say, my goodness, uh, you know, like the last few years, I think that what will happen, history, 20 years from now, that Super Bowl, this last one, Tom Brady's legend will be so big. They will, you know, it, they'll make it. It's like Joe Montana. You know, Joe Montana was a great quarterback. But, I mean, you know, uh, they went out and got Steve Young. I mean, and then there was a fight. Who's the better quarterback there? So, it's like, it's crazy. When you're living the time, you don't realize how these guys are going to be looked upon in the future. But Tom Brady, my God, he is just built an unbelievable legend and it's very cool that he is uh he is a michigan man and he he does go he does go back to michigan a lot you know whether it's to talk to the team or you know spend time in the area he's he's back there i want to say at least a few times a year um one of the things i wanted to talk about don was that the, the transition you made from going from michigan um out to california and um a lot of that included, I mean, like many people who go out there, a lot of tough times sleeping in cars. Am, am I right in, in saying? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I said when I moved out here, I said, you know, I'm telling you, this is something that if I could succeed, uh, and I'm talking about show business, it would be the greatest thing in my life. And so when I came out here, I had the theory, whatever it takes, I am going to, this, I am either going to make it or die trying. And I really meant that. I mean, I even got to the point because I saw a guy that kind of got screwed by, uh, he gave up his dream for the security of having a job, how he got screwed. And when they needed him most, he went to get a, uh, back operation and where he worked where he had the security that he worked for somebody that's the thing that he gave up his dream for he got fired yeah and it's like holy shit and so i just said i had i made a theory that no matter what happens i'm not going to take a job that i don't have a, a mic or in my hand or a camera in my face i'm going to do something that I'm trying to achieve something in show business. So I, I mean, you know, like at one point I was a, an MC at a female mud wrestling place. I did it, but there was a mic in my hand. Right. And I'm very glad that I learned the 
Yeah. Uh, Don, there's a story, I think you might have told it, and if it's rumor, I, then, uh, but did you, when you first got out there, did you did you have like $10,000 worth of stuff completely like ripped off from you when you first got to California? Uh, well, not when I first, it wasn't when I crossed the border. I had, uh, I had a bunch of traveler's checks. I took my life savings, which was, you know, not a lot of money, and I, I can't believe I did it. But I knew that I had about ten grand left, and when I was in Vegas, I was having trouble because I only had one form of ID. So I was having trouble cashing travelers' checks across the country because I drove across the country. So in Vegas, I turned all my travelers' checks and made it cash, put it in a, a photo bag with my camera. And when I was in Baker, California, I went to the bathroom in a gas station. And when I came out, I was going to get gas. And the guy was, ah, you know what? I'll tell you this. You seem like a good guy. If you can make it down the road a couple miles, it's cheaper down the road. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, thanks. So I get in my car and I drive down, start driving down the highway. And I realized someone stole my camera bag with all my cash in it. Oh, my God. And then when I got to town, uh, I got a... Uh, I put all my stuff in storage, and it was in a place downtown L.A., and somebody held the elevator so it couldn't go up. And while that was going on, somebody went through my storage and took everything good. <sighs> like TVs, they took all this crazy. And and I did hear something, Don, and I apologize if I'm stealing from somebody else's podcast. But didn't you like tell the cops like you were you were kind of pissed, and you told the cops in your own way that you know I'm not to be messed with, and they referenced yeah. they referenced the desert. I'll, I'll let you tell that. You tell the story is much better than I can. can no, but it's not that I tell the story much better. It just no. I, I just remember going to the police and telling it because I knew. I mean, I mean, obviously. There's a guy that works at this gas station that is telling me to not buy gas there, that it's cheaper down the road. Huh. I wonder if he had anything to do <laughs> with uh, my camera case being gone. Well, so my theory was, let's get the police involved. So I went to the police, and I acted like I wasn't going to take it. I, you know, I had friends in Michigan and all this shit. Just bullshit. And I just remember that the police officer saying, look that map right there. And he says, do you know what that map is? That's how many miles, and it's all desert land. Out there, we see people that have been burnt to death and just dumped in the middle of this desert. He says, it is so hard to find anything. <laughs> Holy cow. And he was like, you learned a valuable lesson. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, I have to say that um, the art of stand-up, and it seems like it's one of the most difficult professions anybody could attempt as far as just being successful. I mean, I listen to Artie Lang, I listen to other comedians, and it just seems like, you know, even when you get successful, the the brutality of the tour and kind of the, you know, making dates. Um, talk a little bit, Don, about... Um, the stress that kind of comics have. Cause I know when Joe Rogan talks about you, Joe Rogan time and time again 
says you are one of the funniest people he's ever heard. He consistently goes there. He always says, you know, Don Barris, he is he's he won't stop. Like he's he's absolutely and, and rightfully so. Um he just is flattering beyond belief. How do you feel? I guess well, Let me let me tell you this. Uh when a guy is right, you can't argue with him. And Joe Rogan boy, is he right on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's people that would agree with many people that would agree with Joe Rogan on it. I'll tell you this. You know what? And there's also a lot of people that think absolutely the opposite. Uh, one of the reasons that I go up last at the comedy store is because I didn't want to get into the politics of trying to get spots because you see, every person, it's the worst business to be around because all people do is shit on you. If you get something, why does he get spots? You know, and I remember when I started getting a lot of spots at the comedy store, there were comics that would call the talent coordinator and say, why would you put him up there? He's terrible. He's terrible. And it's just, that's the reason I want to be at the end. So there's fewer people that are going to argue my position. Right. Why I'm getting that, you know, there's nobody after me. I'm not ruining your show. I'm not doing anything to screw you up. And to tell you the truth, my vision of comedy is much different than most because uh, I looked at guys like Andy Kaufman who were doing something just completely different. And And some people just absolutely hated Andy Kaufman because they didn't get what he was doing. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was brilliant. I had a talk with Bob Smoot, Andy Kaufman's uh, partner, I guess. And it was just nice because I told him, hey, Windy City Heat uh, was based upon what you and Andy Kaufman did with your, you know. And I told him a great Kimmel line. And the Jimmy Kimmel one time said that uh, the Perry Project is the opposite of what Andy Kaufman did, where Andy Kaufman tried to fool the world, play a joke, and everybody knew what was really going on. This, in the Windy City Heat movie, and the Perry Project, which you've talked a little bit about, it's just the absolute opposite. This is something that everybody in the world sees what's happening. The only person that can't is Perry. So it's like, and that's what Kimmel said, and I got a chance to tell Bob Smuda that. And I was like, wow. That, and Bob Smuda was dressed as Tony Clifton when I was telling him. So. <laughs> you bring me down two roads that I totally want to go. Um, but I wanted to kind of uh, piggyback on your Kaufman story uh, and Bob Smuda's story. Is that one of the things I heard was that Eddie Murphy for a while was working on Raw um, while you were in the comedy store. Do I have that right? When I first got to the comedy store, uh, it was kind of a great learning experience because I'm just this guy, this kid from Saginaw Township, Michigan, not even knowing what the hell's going on. But I got to watch Eddie Murphy from day one, from the first time he walked on stage, he went up there and said, oh, we're going to do a, uh, right now we're doing a, uh, a follow-up to Delirious, uh, and he introduced Robert Townsend, who was going to be the director and all that. And it was just, 
he went into this thing and I got to watch it basically the formation and watch Eddie Murphy work out the entire raw movie that is I'm, and it's would you agree it's one of the one of the better stand-ups over the course of history I mean I I, I think that Eddie Murphy is spectacular. Yeah. But there was people that I saw that, I mean, you know, uh, like, Eddie Murphy did his thing. And you see, what Eddie Murphy taught me is, if you are likable and an audience likes you, they will follow you and you can say anything. And that's what Eddie Murphy did because he's so such a likable guy. He had that on Saturday Night Live and it was something that I got a chance to see and I've tried to be that person because, you know, and it's turned out later because like, as far as like being an audience warm up, you know, if they like you and you tell them, hey, listen, I'm me, your pal. Let's uh, do this for me. And they'll do anything you say. And I also looked at that as far as stand up. I don't really do a lot of jokes. If you said anything, it's almost anti-jokes. I do things that are so stupid, <laughs> so gross, and yet I make people laugh. I did a, uh, I have a, a joke about a squirrel that's so stupid. <laughs> and But what I did, I remember telling this joke one night, and... What I was trying to do, because there was a guy that was a minister of some church, and he was at a table with nothing but people that looked like they hung out a lot at a church, women and all this. And I, so I knew that, you know, but what I did is I talked about things, and I made them like me. I told this joke, and it's like a, pre, a preacher or anybody that had anything to do with the, the church it would not be a joke that you would want to tell. But yet, the, uh, I, I remember the, the minister was pounding on the table laughing because he liked me. Yeah. He liked me, and he knew that I was joking. And if you can get that across with an audience, and one of the things about doing uh, audience warm-up, you have to get them very quick. Yeah. Like at Kimmel, I'm sometimes going on 15 minutes before Jimmy's out there, and I got to get that whole crowd on the same page, ready to laugh and ready to have fun. So they have to like me immediately. Absolutely, I've been very lucky to kind of get that. So yeah, that's that's a great point, man. Hooking people in so they like the comic, therefore the jokes kind of can yeah, groove a little easier. The jokes, I I think that you know. Uh, and I hate to say this uh, because you see it every once in a while. There's there's points where comedy changes, and uh, like if you look at the people of the Catskills, there was a certain way that people would tell jokes, and they all did that. And then you'd have like oh, and then at one point, uh, like a guy like David Brenner, who in the seventies was like taking, but then you had like George Carlin and and. Uh, Richard Pryor, these are guys that changed it. Those are guys that stood at that time. Then you'd have Cheech and Chong, and you just, all these types of different guys that became major stars 
that put out albums. And if you look at that, uh, there hasn't been really a change of some, the last real big thing that was different than anybody else was like in the mid to late 80s when Dice and Kinnison came in. They were different than a lot of people. And it was a different type of blood. You see, you have different things, but if you look at it, who's making it as a stand-up comic? You see these guys that make it like Louis C.K. thought of as one of the most brilliant guys there is, and he's, he's great. But he was a writer, and he had a TV show that was popular, and you know, and you see guys now that they're not making, they're not becoming gigantic stars because of their stand-up. Like they didn't come in and like, uh, like I mean, I know of a guy you probably don't even know, Yakov Smirnov. He was a comic, and then because of his comedy, you know, he was like a Russian. They did all this, so they put start putting him in movies and all this other stuff. There aren't a lot of people that make it as a comic first. Like Louis C.K., he was like thought of as one of the most brilliant comics there was. But it wasn't until he got his show that he became a superstar. So it's it's a very uh, unique time, and I think it's like I've never looked at my stand-up, and it's probably the worst thing, but my gamble was, hey, get something like Windy City Heat to come out and we'll help everything. Well, it didn't work that way. It didn't make me internationally famous. It didn't get me booked everywhere. Well, part of it is because I work here in town all the time. Yeah, and I have uh, to, yeah, and I have to say, Don, I think you've done pretty damn well for yourself. One, in a sense that you have you're working with some phenomenal people, and two, with the fact that you're a highly regarded stand-up uh, comedian. And you mentioned two names, Don, that I kind of want to just circle back on. You talked about Kinnison and Dice. Um, you have good sto- good uh, interaction with both. Um, talk a little bit about Andrew Dice Clay and your uh, history with him. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay took me on the road with him, uh, and realistically, because uh, he liked hanging out. And he let me call him dunce and stupid and <laughs> embarrass him as much as possible. And we had, it was kind of like, he brought me on the road because he liked hanging out with me. And, I mean, we would wrestle. I remember one time we were in Vegas and he threw me through a glass table. Uh, I remember when I almost died, drowned, because we're out in the ocean in Miami. Yeah. I'm trying to drown him, and he got on top of me and pulled me under, and I swallowed a bunch of water. So Holy it was like it was like it was it gave me a shot at seeing how fun it can be to just play this character twenty four. I mean, be on twenty four hours a day, and you know, and I that was fun, and I so Andrew was very good with that. Unfortunately, Andrew, uh, you know, I'm very happy for all. Andrew did a Woody Allen movie. Andrew did a, you know, after he did that Woody Allen movie, there was talk of an Oscar nomination. So I'm very happy for Andrew. And the... uh... 
And the second one was uh, Sam Kinison. You have a really interesting kind of rapport with him. Uh, there was, but it was just like, you know, uh, he didn't like me, but people said that I'm this and that. So he got to know me a little bit. And it was like, and it was funny. He was a, he was a great teacher of comedy. And he truly believed in the art. He was like, and he was one of the greatest comics I've seen. And what's sad is, is that I got to see him like every night that he was in town. But the sad thing is, like a lot of people, they only saw him on TV. And he didn't have great sets on Letterman. He didn't have great sets when the, he was like the house comic on Saturday Night Live. He wasn't as, he never was able to go on TV and to show what a spectacular comic he was. There was talk at one point, I think, that uh, Stern bought the rights to uh, uh, Carl LeBeau's book. And Carl LeBeau was his best friend and knew all the real secrets. And, you know, there's talk about Stern producing a movie about Kennison. Right. Interesting guy, but it, what's, what's sad, what's sad to me, he was such a great comic and deserves to be in the ranks with Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Steve Martin, all those guys that had done something in stand-up comedy. He deserves to be in that group. But most people never really saw him. They never really got how great he was. And, and to add to your point, Don, he was in, I believe it was Back to School, and he was just a touch of him. He was so phenomenal in that. He had minimal yeah. he was fantastic and that even adds to your point even more we just saw a little bit of him in that and i can't even imagine how wonderful he would have been had he continued on and well, there's, uh, there was like he was cut out of the three amigos he was in the three amigos he was cut out of that i did not know that uh, yeah he uh was close to being in uh the movie scrooge uh he was supposed to play the uh uh, Buckster Poindexter's role in that. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was he was in that. But Buster was. Uh, oh, I can't. Uh, Bill Murray's friend, so that's the reason he was in there. But no, but in, in Back to School, a little story about that because that's when I first kind of came to the comedy store and started hearing the stories, and he kind of actually told me, uh, you know. And back to school, that was shot after the rest of the movie was completely done. Uh, Rodney wanted to put him in, and so they they put him in. And they, I mean, great, great, great. He kind of stole the movie. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I remember in the theater, I saw that in the theater, and he stole the movie. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of stand-up... Um, let me go through a couple of things here, Don, and and just some of the just some of the alumni from the comedy store. For those that you know maybe be unfamiliar with it or have heard a little bit about it, we're looking at Letterman, Robin Williams, Dangerfield, Leno, Richard Lewis, Kinnison, as we've talked about, Roseanne Barr. I don't know Richard Lewis as much as I think he was more of an improv guy. Gotcha. But the comedy store was a place that it's it's different than any other place because it's. Just a, uh, it's a place where it's like a clubhouse. It really is like a clubhouse. And it really, there are really, and a lot of, now they even have 
Dave Chappelle because he's there just hanging out every time he's in town. Wow, very cool. Uh, but, you know, it's just like every, the place was set up and where the owner, Mitzi Shore, cared about stand-up comics. She really cared about She had married one, but she really understood uh, the the process of what a stand-up is and shortcomings and she understood that and made it a very good because stand-ups are screwed up guys anybody who's like does stand-up usually they're kind of fucked up yeah <laughs> I, I, i'm not agreeing with that but I, I i i i definitely hear where you're coming from um but you know she understood that and i mean everybody like she became very good friends with richard Pryor. richard Pryor hung out there when he was as hot as when he was as hot as he ever was. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of gave the comedy store a big name. So, I mean, no, the comedy store, the history, and it's like, it's gone up and down at times. Right now, it's it's on a roll. It's probably doing better than any comedy club in the world. It has tons and tons of people. Like, Bill Burr did a special from there. I mean, these are guys that hang out there and come there all the time. I mean, it's 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 funny. So yeah, it's nice to be part of that history. Um, there are two topics I wanted to run by you quickly, Don, and that is one of which is you know you paid your dues like many comics do. I mean, your story is filled with like you know, like I said, sleeping in cars, stuff that we've talked about. Um, and that's kind of the resentment I have personally towards like these um, reality shows where people get famous without earning it. I I just feel like I. With stand-up comedians, I, I love stand-up, and I feel like it hits like a, a soft spot because a lot of these guys have paid the price. Um, you are the perfect example of that. How, how do you feel about that, Doc? Like people like you who have actually paid for, you know, it, in sweat and tears and everything else versus somebody who kind of gets fame just from, you know, you know, being naked on TV or just saying something. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. My personal feeling, uh, it's what I base my stand-up on because that's what's popular. People like, they like reality. That's the reason that every show, you know, I'll use some of the same stupid jokes, but my stupid jokes are put in there because I'm playing with the audience. I'm just like orchestrating, okay, here we've got a crowd. Let's find out who's in here. And I find out people that are talking and I play with the audience. I put in the stupid jokes. But they're more just like a place to go. And that's the reason I go up and I, I'll go on stage like every night. I, I think I average about an hour every set that I go when I close up the store. And as far as reality goes, I mean, you know, I kind of saw that's what audiences like. Right. And when you look at that, that's what Windy City Heat was, the movie. It was a, it's a, it's a reality show. It's it's a real person. You're you know, there's there's things being set up, but not like the Osbournes where they're okay, Oz, you're gonna come in here and do this. Uh, we have a reality show that's real. And a lot of these reality shows aren't real. I mean, they just tell them what to do. They give them, you know, but it's like you don't have to have writers, so I understand how cheap it is to do. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, but I, I look at that for me, you know. My Ding Dong show, I'm trying to get a great cast together because, like, uh, I have a good cast now. I have some breakout guys that 
the fans seem to like. My uh, schizo surfer being one. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. People in that, so I kind of push him. Uh, and we're trying to work work things out, you know. Uh, Mary Jane, who uh, the lovely the lovely Mary Jane. Yeah, she's been with me. She's yep. helped me produce every podcast I've ever made. Uh, all the big three, all the Simply Don podcasts that I make. Yep. Uh, every Monday for years, she's been part of the Ding Dong Show. I mean, she's my she's my right arm. She's she's wonderful and. So she's a big person because, you know, this is a woman that was the top of her field. She was one of the biggest uh, fetish models there were because she's got, she's a big leg model. Right. And she kind of like gave a lot of that shit up to do this because she wanted to figure out what's going on after. So, I mean, not only does she help me on a daily basis, but she also motivates me like, wow, I really want to. You know, I want to make sure she also, uh, I, I want to get things done so she can benefit because of all the trust she put in me. Yeah, and, and and that seems to be a theme with a lot of people, Don, that kind of enter the, the field that you're in is that you talked earlier about a man that gave up a, you know, a steady income. They sacrifice a lot, you know, for the unknown. Like Mary Jane has done it, and that's kind of a big. Yeah. That's 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 pretty impressive. I mean, I I think that's impressive. I think that takes some serious balls to do that. Well, I'm, I'll be very honest with you. I'm very very lucky that I learned how to do audience warm. I I thank Dice Clay for giving me my first big job, like on a network show, that I could do it and I could learn how to do it with like not much chance because I was Dice's friend and he was on the show I was able to stay there when you know they probably would have fired just anybody that was doing what I was but I got a chance to learn and you know and for the last 14 years I've worked on Jimmy's show I mean with, and Jimmy has kept me working since I met him you know I didn't make all the money in the world on Windy City Heat but what I did is I made a very good friend with Jimmy and he has kept me working on him thankful to God for that. You know, that's the reason whatever Jimmy tells me, I basically listen to. Right. I mean, he's, he's the only guy that I would do that for. Right. And, and I do have one thing I want to get to, and then I definitely want to hop right into what is, what is my favorite comedy in the history of uh, television slash movies. And I'm not saying that because you're on the phone. Anybody that knows me will agree with this. I do have to say, Don, there's people that offer, like, classes in comedy and how to do stand-up. Uh, do, do you believe in something like that? Can, can somebody learn how to get in front of Like, Isn't it something that either you have or you don't? Um, well, I actually thought, you know, I, I, uh, I think that as far as, like, learning, I actually thought about teaching a class because... You know, there's been people that have offered me money to help them out. And not that I would be a great, because I don't write great material myself. I have funny stuff, but I don't have great material. I don't have this unbelievably, wow, that was a, that guy's a great writer. I don't have that. But uh, I think there's, there's rules. And I think that, you know, usually if you can't do it, you teach. Uh, I understand the rules. I understand things you have to do, but there's no... See, the thing about stand-up comedy, there are no rules. You know, whatever makes people laugh, whatever keeps people listening, I think that that's the big thing. 
and, and that's kind of, and that's kind of a great point because earlier you had said that you know there's it, it's cutthroat in a sense that you know some comics will go to you know say to others you know that guy's not funny I'm better than him I I belong ahead of him so I guess if you have a chance to give back to people that want to be comics that what you're saying right now I guess it it makes a lot of sense. Well, if anybody feels inclined to ask me anything, because I think personally I am far away being what I'd want to be as far as like you know I I guess if you looked at financially wanted to really do the job what I did is I sat and watched people I sat and watched people at the comedy store and that's how I learned but not everybody has that option and a lot of comedy clubs are you know terrible comics and, you know, and it's not just because I'm in L.A. There's comedy clubs here that you'll see terrible, terrible shows. Right. But, I mean, but you can learn from anybody. One of, a thing that I learned by watching, I mentioned before, Yakov Shmirnov. I don't know if you know who he Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Robert, wasn't he in a lot of Robin Williams material? Am I wrong with that? Did he steal it? No, 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 not steal it. But no, Robin Williams always would kind of make fun of the accent that he do Yakov Smirnoff. He would he would not steal it, but he would. I thought Robin Williams. Yes, yes okay. I want to make sure. Robin I, kind of because you got to remember Yakov Smirnoff was around during the Cold War, right? And watch, and so here's like a, here's a peek at somebody being funny. It's from Russia, <laughs> and one of the things that I learned from him is a thing that I use constantly and that is uh, he did something when I first came to the comic store that blew me away I was like at the end of his act he'd always ask do we have any questions and people would draw questions and he would have every question he would have a hysterical response to that the audience would go crazy I thought whoa then I watched him more and more, and I would see the audiences, they basically asked the same questions all the time. Mm. And they would ask, so what's, what's the difference, the major difference between Russia and America? And he had a line that would get, and he'd use that line every time. And I thought, oh. And then if, he did, if somebody asked him something that he never knew before, he had a line. You know, like, uh, I don't know, maybe the KGB should investigate you. You know, something stupid. Right. But it get a laugh. And then that question that that person laughed, the next time that somebody asked a question like that, he had a new answer. So he'd go to his writers and have them write. And it was like, wow, that's how it's done. He looks like he's making it up on the spot. Yet these are all. So I have tons of things like that. Uh, let me ask you. You, you said you were in. The, you said you wa- you 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 would sit back and watch comedians. Is there anybody that we haven't brought up tonight that you'd watch it and were like blown away by, or like you really kind of took a lot away from what they were doing on stage? Well, uh, yeah, and it's funny. I mean, you know, when I got to the comedy store, when I first got there, that was when. Kennison was becoming big. That's when Dice was becoming big. That's when Roseanne was first 
becoming big. And so to see all those people, but I mean also it's like the Waynes brothers. Damon Waynes had one of the greatest comedy specials I had ever seen because he just like, everything he talked about, people responded. Uh, but a guy that probably, that a lot of people don't know who it is, but to me, one of my favorite comics ever, and Sam Kennison one time said to me, if you want to watch a guy that whatever act is on before him, that within seconds will bring an audience to where he wants him to be, is a guy by the name of Paul Mooney. Now, I don't know if you know who Paul Mooney is, but Paul Mooney, uh, I guess to give a quick resume of him, he was a writer for uh, Richard Pryor. When Richard, like on Richard Pryor's show, his act, he was like, uh, his man was Paul Mooney. One of the things that Richard Pryor demanded when Saturday Night Live started, they wanted Richard Pryor to be the first host, but they couldn't get him because there was a negotiating thing. Uh, but what, what, it, what Pryor eventually did to Saturday Night Live, he had three demands. One of his demands was that... Uh, his wife read poetry on the show. One of his demands was that the uh, an activist singer for the black counterculture was uh, Gil Scott Heron. He had to be the musical guest on the show. And the other thing he wanted is he said he wanted to bring Paul Mooney on as one of the writers. Well, Paul Mooney came there and he uh, wrote some classic bits. He wrote the, this bit called Word Association that had, uh, it was a thing about uh, Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase, and it was like they were interviewing for a job, so he said, I say a word, you say the first thing that comes into your mind, and it led into a racial thing, but I mean, it's been considered one of the great bits in the history of Saturday Night Live. That was a Paul Mooney bit. Paul Mooney also wrote uh, a sketch with uh, Pryor that became pretty big. It was during the time that the exorcist had come out and he wrote this thing about the exorcist and came up with a lot of the lines. So it was just Paul Mooney, but not only was he with Pryor, he also helped out with Eddie Murphy when he was doing his thing. He also helped out, I mean, his bits, he was the guy that had a bit in his act called Homie the Clown. And uh, the people on In Living Color did a lot of his bits. And they eventually, to, they hired him to be on there. He was on Chappelle's show. And probably one of the great comedy television bits of all time was inspired by Mooney. And that, who was that guy? Oh, what's his name? He, uh, oh, jeez, oh man. He's a guy, not Byron Allen. But a guy like Byron Allen that kind of had, in the black community, kind of a sissy uh, attitude, but makes a lot of money. He was the host of a game show. Uh, um. uh, he was on Chappelle's show, and Mooney did a thing. He said that this comic, this guy, Wayne Brady. That's it, yep. It was Wayne, yep. Wayne Brady, uh, Mooney said Wayne Brady made... Uh, Oh, no, I can't think of their names. The guys uh, that did the sports, uh, that's on uh, uh, Pe the... Peel? The Bryant family. What's the Bryant family there? Oh, um... Two 
Oh, uh, uh, um, oh, shit. Is is it is Brian? Is it Gumble? Yeah, Brian Gumble. Yeah. Like he is. Mooney's joke was that Wayne Brady made Brian Gumble look like Malcolm X. <laughs> and so that thing, and it became that bit that was, uh, you know, where Wayne Brady is. Are you gonna make Wayne Brady slap a bitch? I mean, it was like it was a great thing for Wayne Brady, but truly hysterically funny. And do you know what bit I'm talking about? I do, I do. <laughs> From the ass. Yeah. So, yeah. so Mooney has been part of all this major, major guy. He was like a writer on Sanford and Son. Wow. I mean, so through the 70s and 80s, Mooney was just, you know, and I just, there is a guy that was like a great comic. I would watch him go for white trash and just piss him off to the point where like guys were waiting to fight Paul Mooney as he came off stage, and I and I uh, and I watched Mooney walk by these people and say, "Oh, don't be silly, don't be silly, just get out of my way." <laughs> and just walk by them when they were just furious, wanting to kill the man. Mooney, Paul Mooney is great. He actually, if you look at the uh, Paul Mooney album Race, he actually paid me to be a model, and I'm on the cover of that that album. I am absolutely going to find that as soon as we're off this. I am going to look for that right away. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm it's, on the cover of that album, and it's amazing, Don, because like a guy like that goes kind of unrecognized, but yet he's he's got so many roots in so many other talented guys. Yes, you know, and it's 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 kind of like unfortunate sometimes that more people don't know about guys like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he actually, uh, one of the movies that's very funny because I always love to see this. He played Sam Cooke in the Buddy Holly story. Oh, I didn't know that. That's fin- wow. That's a- and that was with um. Watch, watch that one with the Gary Busey Buddy Holly story. Uh, Paul Mooney plays Sam Cooke in it. No he shit. Like Sam Cooke. Yeah. Gary Busey was nominated for an Oscar, I believe, for that role. Yes. Wow. And that reminds me of one of the funny pieces. Uh, I don't know why it always struck me as just funny. It was like it was. That was the year he was nominated. The year that uh, uh, John Belushi did Animal House, and a lot of people were talking about the fact that John Belushi might be nominated for an Academy Award that year. And I remember the opening of One Saturday Night Live when Gary Busey was on the show. Uh, and I don't know why it still to this day strikes me as funny. But John Belushi was talking. Oh, what, what has he ever done? He does. There's one movie that people like, the Buddy Hackett story. And I just remember in tears laughing at that line. That's great. That is awesome. And, and there's there's comedians that we've lost over the years that I always wonder about. I always wonder how he would have turned out. I always wonder what Farley would have turned out like. I, I don't know. I just, it, it's sometimes you think about it, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer because you know these guys would have been great, you know. Um, well, a lot of these guys. Farley was like Kennison. I think that they both kind of like were idolized Belushi. Yeah. And Belushi was uh, the live fast and die young. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he said that, but that's that was his attitude. That was the biting edge. That was the, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people like that. A yeah. lot of people. 
And, you know, um, Don, the one thing I don't want to go unrecognized here is, and we're going to change top. I, I, I could, honestly, Don, I could listen to you talk stand up in, in these stories, uh, truthfully, for 24 hours. Like, I, they're phenomenal. I sometimes wonder why everybody can't be like that. <laughs> I, I, I love stand up comedy, and I love its history and roots, and I could listen to you talk. Uh, those stories are phenomenal. Um, but my, the one thing I really want to recognize today is, one of my favorite comedies, my favorite comedy in the in the history of movies. It is so underappreciated. It came out in 2003, Windy City Heat. Um, this movie has a lot of people are, it, pulling for it, pulling for a part two. Um, you know, some of the people that love this movie upon release were Robin Williams, J.J. Abrams. You're looking at Mike Judge, Knoxville, Quentin Tarantino. I mean... People that that see this movie get hooked, and I want more people to get hooked on this movie because it's truthfully a work of comedic art. And Don, I don't know if you feel comfortable. How would you summarize the movie? How would you? Is, is there anything you could say about it that's on your mind right off the bat? Well, I think that you said it by calling it the greatest comedy ever, and yeah. that is true. I think that it. I think that uh, if you work hard at something. And uh, understand what you have. I think you can get and the crew that and the crew that you know uh, the guy who plays Mole, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was a huge part of making this movie. His cousin Sal Icano. I mean, this little group of people. This was like. Every weekend we would listen to phone call tapes and we would, at these parties and all that, people just seemed to love it. But these guys, everybody in there, we had something, there was a very, uh, there was there was some kind of magic and just everything worked perfectly. And nothing had ever been done like it. I, I give credit to Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, he saw something the minute he saw it. He said he wanted to do something with it. And uh, thank God for that. I just, we have we have a very funny movie. Uh, I think if you said this, this is a, it's the first true reality movie because there was no, uh, okay, here's what we're going to do and everybody knows what's happening. We have a guy that had no idea what was happening. You just see a true, terrible human being. <laughs> because I've grown to hate the guy. You know, people can say very bad things about me and, oh, this is mean to do. But you know what? They don't understand what it's like to want to get into show business. There's tons of people that try to get into show business, uh, especially in stand-up comedy, because it's the easiest thing to do. If, you, if you're a singer and you think you're a singer, you can only get so far unless you have at least a little bit of talent because you can't perform anywhere. That's a great stand-up point. Stand-up comedy, yep. stand-up comedy, they have stand-ups all over the country. There's tons of people that do it just because they want to give it a shot. But he is a guy that is lazy and he's a terrible stand-up comedy. He idolized Sam Kennison and tried to rip Sam off, more or less. And yet, so we just let this guy be his, his himself. And he's a 
kind of a buffoon. And you're talking about Perry, Perry, who's the star of the movie. Talking about Perry. Yeah. But people think that we're being mean. They don't know how many people want to do this. And he's become the king of that person because he got a movie made. He is the star of a film. And uh, I don't know, I don't remember when it was, but we won the Windy City Heat beat Napoleon Dynamite at the Montreal Comedy Festival for best film. So there's some people that just think it's the greatest thing ever. And I uh, recently, like last year, we were very honored because Jack Black is a big fan and loves it and actually had us perform at his uh, Festival Supreme show that he has every year, which is music and comedy and he has the biggest names in the business doing this festival and he had us come and we were in it and we had never really worked together before we did podcasts which is the big three podcast which you can hear on uh simply down the podcast network.com and you can hear you know we we were on ace broadcasting adam corolla's network for about a year then we went to uh started a place at a secret location in West Hollywood, California, where we started recording shows, but we had about four years of podcasts that people are so obsessed with that they listen to it over and over again. And let me interrupt you, Don. I, I am I am the leader of that pack as far as being obsessed with it. Anybody out there, I, I cannot recommend the Big Three podcast enough. It is on loop on my phone, and you know, one of the things, Don, is that when I watched, uh, when I saw, uh, you know, uh, Windy City Heat for the thousandth time, I never knew there was this unbelievable podcast out there. When I stumbled on it, I was so pissed at myself that I didn't get it earlier. So I, I'm telling anybody that's listening, this is a podcast worth every minute and second of your time. And I'm not just saying this because I'm interviewing Don. I'm telling you this. Between yeah. between Don and between Mole, it is it, it's a work of art and it's a symphony in comedy, and, and I mean that. And I'm not, I'm not being over the top by saying it. It is it's a work of it's a it's a work of art, Don. It's a work of art. You know, I'll tell you this. I don't know if you know who Gavin McGinnis is. He does some things on. He has his own uh, podcast network. He works on the Anthony Kumas network and does a show like kicks just be, kicks just below the um, neck, Don. What's that? Just kicks just below the neck. I love Gavin McGinnis. I'm talking about the f- Perry and um, whatever. Uh, I, I love I love because when they both when uh, Gavin challenged Perry, yes, for yes, ten dollars, yes. and he uh, Perry as a kid had a neck injury where he damaged a certain. Uh, vertebrae well uh Gavin, Gavin was gonna fight him but he hurt his neck the exact same way Perry did and they were gonna fight so the rule was punches only beneath the neck beneath the neck and that's kind of what I wanted to tell you quickly I have to say part of the big Gavin three this is one of the founders of Vice Magazine that's gone on to Vice TV and all that he's away from it now but uh he uh he would tell, I mean, he was the first guy. They did a cover stories, story on us in Vice Magazine. And he said one of the greatest compliments 
there was somebody who had never seen Windy City Heat, and he was dead serious. He may have been a little drunk, but he went up to him and says, I envy your position right now because you're going to be able to see this movie for the first time. And that was one of the great moments of oh, my life. Oh, God, that's a fantastic compliment. Oh. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I listen to him. Like, I, I listen to Joe Rogan on and off when, when I'm not listening to the to the Big Three podcast. And I I listened to Gavin on it twice. He's a great listen. He is. He's very. He's very talented. He's very. He's very bright, and he's. He's really. Uh, he fits right into the, uh, the big three universe. He is perfect, and he is. He loves it. Yeah. He absolutely loves it. Yeah, and he. And that's kind of when you listen to the big three podcast, you're introduced to these like. Awesome people, uh, Stephen Brody Stevens, uh, the guy who plays to- uh, Doctor Tommy Moore. Uh, all these people are like. Do you know who that is? I do not know who Doctor Tommy Morris is because I listened to it today. I I, I, I cannot. Richards he used to be on Saturday Night Live. His big uh, his big character on Saturday Night Live was Drunk Girl. Oh my God, that is Doctor Tommy Morris. Yes, I did not know that. Because yeah, I was listening to that. T- on the way back from, I stopped at the gym and I was listening to it on the on my on my headphones. And you just asked Perry where the Gestapitus was, and that is literally the one of my be- my favorite episodes to listen to. I did not know that was him. That is phenomenal. Yeah, funny, I think that uh, Tom Brennan ran a. Uh, he got the top ten. Uh, we did a thing of uh, the top. 10 episodes of all time and he got a lot of people to vote on it, a lot of people from the fan club and I think that was voted the number one podcast of all time a big three podcast wow I do have to say Perry's alter ego where he goes into his wonderful uh, impressions is up there for me as well uh, <laughs> uh, he goes into his Dexter he goes into his um, yeah, uh, yeah. Where, he does, where he does voices and he thinks he's a good impressionist. <laughs> and one of his one of his things is maybe the most racist uh, black impression you would ever see. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and he, he has no idea why it's wrong, and he thinks it's funny. He is just a complete. He is so stupid, <laughs> and the history of it with all the things through all of the years of. The, uh, the insanity. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is uh, at one point we were thinking when this is kind of like over, uh, which it may be soon, but one of the things we were going to sell uh, in the early years when we first started the whole project was phone calls where I had a phone thing where we had different phone calls and I knew how to get like different lines on there and so it was just I have a thousand hours of conversations with Perry and everybody, you know, that you hear is, it becomes part of it. It was, uh, it's pretty fun. So those will be coming out at one point. It's just, it's a mass media thing. It's literally, it's, uh, people can say one of two things. We do a study on a human being for over 20, 25 years is coming up in May since I've met the guy and we've recorded so many things so many times over those 25 years and like I said we have a thousand hours of phone conversations that will be released if, uh, if you go to uh, 
uh, our, our website, uh, simply down the podcast network dot com. We have on in the big three podcast. We actually have. You could go through there. We have best ofs and a lot of things going on. But if you really want to see something, it is. Uh, it's following a human being's life, and he's just one of the. He is a, an intriguing character. Uh, you know, he is he crazy? Yes, but there's lots of crazy people. Right. He is. Uh, uh, I, I remember when I first heard Howard Stern and I heard his whack back. I thought, oh my God, this is perfect for what we're trying to do. So there is a market for that, you know? And, you know, uh, it's funny. One of, uh, one of Howard Stern's whack pack was part of my ding dong show for many years. Uh, and I, I remember the embarrassment because what I didn't want to have happen. What we didn't want to, I didn't want to get like Stern thinking that I ripped him off because I was using Blue Iris in my show. Right. Yeah. But uh, I, I didn't want that to happen. So I told Blue Iris, let these people know that we've been working with you because, like, he was one of the first people to talk about Windy City Heat when Jimmy was on there. And he said some really, really nice things. And I'm talking about Stern. Right. So I didn't want to ruin that. And I said, Make sure that you tell the producers that you work with that you've been working with me so they don't think that I took you from them. And so what she did, she was so stupid because she would start to mention me on the air, something I never wanted. But with Stern, I'm sure he felt, oh, yeah, this guy, Don Barris, is telling her to say that on the air to promote himself because everybody does that. It was humiliating. By the way, you're a fan of Stern, aren't you? I do like Howard Stern, but I, I got to tell you, m- most of my listening in the last, I want to say, year, two years has been big, th- big three podcasts, and that's sincere. If I'm not listening, yeah. and if I'm, li- well, I'll tell you yeah. this. Here's something, and it, they play it quite a bit to this day. Uh, there's a little big three thing that happened on the Howard Stern show that nobody knows about. I'll set the scene, and maybe you've heard of it. There was a thing, and because they, they used to play it, the, the video constantly on uh, uh, Howard Stern's TV show, where they would show the video of old Howard Stern shows and all that. Right. And there was a time that Dice was on, and he got in a fight with Jackie. Now, Dice was on, but he was in Los Angeles, and they were doing a phone-in, but they recorded it. So in that, Dice is on, and he's fighting with Jackie. Now, I went into the studio with Dice, and he never brings me up until the very end. Now, at the time, Perry, one night, we got drunk, and Mole was supposedly going to buy a club, and he asked Perry, well, what kind of club should we have? Perry comes up with a comedy, with a comedy club slash strip club. And the drunker Perry got, the crazier he got. And so he starts spelling something, and he comes up with this really crazy spelling. And we looked at it, and it was like it says, cat's quite bad. That was like how it was spelled, cat's quite bad. And so Mole was pretending, he got off all the drugs, and he was becoming a businessman. He was going to open this thing, and Perry was going to be the manager. 
on how we, who he was going to hire. He wasn't going to let me work there. He was just being a dick with everything. And But it was under the assumption if Mole started smoking pot again, this whole thing would be ruined. <laughs> <laughs> so on Howard Stern's show, I don't have any time on that at all, but I'm there. And so, so I say something backing dice and Jackie says, who's that in the background? And so Dice introduces me. And so all I can think of is I want to get something in there where we can have the, the Perry thing. So I said, yeah, uh, I'm part of this new club called Cats Quite Bad. If you guys ever want to come, if you're in Los Angeles, we'll take care of you. <laughs> so Paul looked at, wow, that was on Howard Stern pushing this show. <laughs> but so if you ever see that, you can hear that. I say, Yeah, if you ever want to come to Don, people have to realize there is tons of awesome stuff. And, and I wish there was more of this because I've searched forever. I desperately want to see a lot of your public access stuff. And there's only like one clip out there where like... Well, there's one, yeah, where Jimmy used to be the announcer. Jimmy was the announcer and his cousin Sal was the disc jockey. Yeah, and he farted in your face. Uh, I believe in that episode, and, and and you suspended him for I believe a, a, an episode, and Perry was insulting Jimmy's uh, wife at the time, and it was. Yeah. It, I, well, I, I have forty two of those shows. What what I want to do is I want to get everything set, and then we've got. See, here's what we have: is people would say the bits of gold that we have is all the podcasts they've all been recorded on video. So we could put out a, like an entire show, but on video, and nobody has ever seen that before because we kept it. We have the thousand hours of phone calls that are great, and we have forty-two public access shows. Those forty-two, we a, yeah. We have a lot of stuff that nobody has seen before, and I wanted to try. My goal was to get to the point where. We came out with a show, and the show, whatever it was, would make the big three more popular. Then we could come out with all this other stuff. So, and uh, but who knows? We within a month we may find out if we're doing something else. Might take a month, but we might have a better idea if we're gonna do any more big three stuff, or it's completely over. Yeah, and you've been so generous, Don, to give me the time you have. I, I do have three quick things, and then I, I will let you go. Um, okay. The first of which is I'm really upset that Windy City Heat isn't on iTunes. I, I, I wish it was – I don't know if there's another reason why it's not, but – Well, I know that somebody put it up on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube, and you can order on Amazon, which I've done both. I haven't downloaded right. both. Yeah, I, I, I have – If somebody wanted to see it, they could go on uh... – they could go on YouTube and watch Windy City Heat. Uh, but uh, if you do get the DVD, the extras, which is one of, one of my favorite things that we did, uh, Perry one time, and this just shows what a terrible person he is. <laughs> one time he begged me to loan him money to pay his rent because he said he was going to get kicked out. And this is quite a few years ago. And so I was going to loan him $750. But I thought, I'm not going to make it easy. So what I did is I put all this money in my wallet, and I put the wallet on a, a 
and I drew an arrow pointing to the wall and, and I put a camera right there. So I pretended like I wasn't in the room and Perry goes into the room and you can see his brain working. You can see him seeing the arrow. You can see him following the arrow to, because I said I lost my wallet and I need to find my wallet so I can give him the money. Right. You see all this happening. Then you see him stealing money from me. Then you see him, his first inclination is when he sees me come out. He says, well, can I get the play? Here's your wallet. But I said, oh, it looks like some money's missing. And so it's just him red-handed being caught stealing money. That's in one of the extras of the DVD. Have you ever seen that? I have. And I, my, my favorite, absolute favorite moment from that is when he toilet papers uh, Mole's trailer. And, oh, that's for the extras. Yes, he toilet papers, moles, uh, and then when he basically finds out that he's going to get caught, he comes forth and said, yeah, I did it. Um, I, I re- Is it true that there's hours and hours of stuff left out of that movie? Well, uh, one of the things that I think people have somehow got out, but there is a, uh, when this movie was going on, they, they would make edits. And it was an edit of the movie, but it had everything in it. And the first edit was a 12-hour version. Wow. Wow. I probably would watch that time and time again. Well, there's people out there that have said they've seen it. They've got it from Comedy Central or something, and they've actually seen it. And I guess what makes this so impressive, Don, is the fact that how many years all of you have put into this project. It's not just something, hey, on a whim, oh, we've got this guy and let's make a movie. I mean, this is years and years of buildup. I mean, this is your life. We're now in June or in May. It's 25 years. And that is phenomenal. And anybody who has not seen this movie, get on it. It's on YouTube. There's no excuses. There's no reason you shouldn't be watching this movie. This is every bit as good as Borat or any comedy you will ever see. And, um, Don, I cannot thank you enough for the time you've given me today. You took an absolute nobody and you treated me like I was a colleague of yours for for 15 years. And, you know, I I cannot thank you enough, Don, for what you've done for me and what you've... You're welcome. You know, um, and we are going to... I'm going to Vegas in... um, April towards the end of April, and I do want to make my way over to the comedy store for the first time. So um, it'll be nice to meet you. Then. Yeah, man, that would be absolutely super. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to say? I I try not to talk over you because you have a lot of awesome, a lot of awesome stuff to say. Well, uh, I uh, I'm in a competition with Stephen Brody Stevenson. He has uh, followers on Twitter. He has. You know, close to 100,000. I still haven't even hit 10,000 yet. Uh, so follow me on Twitter. It's simply Don One. Uh, I Speaking of Brody, if you... Uh, I have put a band. Anybody who opens for Brody on the road, I will never open. let you open for me on the road. So you have to make a choice. Uh, you can get... Uh, go to my Simply Down the Podcast Network dot com uh you'll come on to you'll see all the podcasts is simply down the podcast the ding dong show podcast the big three podcast all my podcasts you'll see on there so yeah that's all everybody don barris uh don thank you so much for 
everything you've given us today. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for uh, listening to what I have to say. Thanks for thanks for the compliments, man. Yeah, all truth and 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 none of it because you were there. I mean, that's it's it's what it is, man. It's 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 what needs. This movie needs to be seen by many more people. It's 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 going to be an all time classic. Which which Perry helped get elected, but I can I can add. Did you like those podcasts? Uh, asking me if I like those podcasts is I I I, I listened to that podcast oh, when Gavin said he was going to turn um, uh, Perry's apartment building into a what what, what did he say he was going to Trump was going to help him with the you know the the renovation of, of, of Perry's apartment building, uh, which I believe is seven seven two two Reseda Boulevard. Um, you know, it's it's unbelievable how how some how some people find that out. It's it's ridiculous. And now there's hats and shirts and all that stuff. Don, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, man. I asked Don for ten to fifteen minutes, and he gave me an hour and fifteen minutes. That man did not have to do any of what he did, and he did it out of the kindness of his heart. And I don't think he'll ever know how grateful. And how appreciative I am. And Don, if you're listening, um, a very big and sincere thank you. Um, I did want to say, um, just to remind those of you, Don's Twitter handle is SimplyDon1. That is S-I-M-P-L-Y-D-O-N and the number one. That is also his Instagram handle. His um, website address is SimplyDonThePodcastNetwork.com. And for those of you who have not seen Windy City Heat, it is available for free on YouTube, um, and it's also available on Amazon um, on DVD. So there's really no reason that you should not go out and see this this work of art. And I'm telling you, um, I've seen just about everything there is out there, from comedies to drama to whatever. This is one of the funniest things I have ever ever seen in my entire life. I know sometimes when you have a guest, it sounds like you're buttering them up or you're kissing their butts. And truthfully, I, I meant every word I said. I, I would have said the same thing had he not been on the show. Windy City Heat is a work of art. It's a masterpiece. And there should be a part two right now, but Perry ruined that. Uh, but I'm not going to get go there. Um, there's a lot I wanted to ask Don. Um, one of the things was um, Perry was going around telling people that Don was dead and they had a eulogy at the comedy store and the eulogy was all about Perry it wasn't in memoriam to Don's life it wasn't in memory of Don it was simply Perry um, and the inheritance that was left to him he just wanted to know where that was Um, he just wanted to talk about all his accomplishments and it was supposed to be Don's eulogy and it was a real insight and that's also on YouTube um, Don's eulogy. Please watch it if you haven't. It was a keen insight into really what kind of person Perry is, you know. Um, and those fans of Windy City Heat um, are phenomenal. It's just a great bunch of people. Um, there was a Windy City get together, I think 2012. I, you know, I got into the game late. I saw the movie when it first premiered, but I didn't get involved in the you know the the meetings with the fans and all that. I didn't even know about that, and shame on me for that. But 
I had three or four pages worth of research that took me forever to compile because I wanted to, you know, when I do interview somebody, I want to be properly prepared. And Don was so great about going through it. I do want to apologize at the beginning of the podcast um, because of how I was doing the interview. I was really close to the mic and it definitely sounded like Darth Vader was interviewing Don and I apologize for that. I'm new to the podcast game, but I'm dedicated and, you know, each show I'm trying to get better and better. So, you know, I do promise to be better and I do promise to, you know, entertain you and, and give you things that hopefully you didn't know before. So there's no reason for you guys not to, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, watch Windy City Heat. Um, pretty much the history of how they met Perry and the history in the movie um, are both on YouTube. It's free. There's truly no excuse for you guys not to see that. It's it's worth the price of admission uh, for sure. Uh, and finally, next week, um, I have another special guest lined up. We are going to break down the Walking Dead finale that's titled The First Day of the Rest of Your Life. And I am so excited for that. And we will break that down next week. Um, to those of you that have returned thank you thank you thank you those of you listening for the first time glad to have you aboard hopefully we see you again next week and i want to thank you for tuning in i want to thank you for being patient and i want to thank you for letting me for letting me be a part of your day and we will talk soon blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to rise Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see For this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the light of a dark black night You were only waiting for this moment to arise Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the light of a dark black night Blackbird singing in the dead of Singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arrive